You are listening to the audio portion of the QB Power Hour webinar series. The QB Power Hour is a free bi-weekly webinar series for accounting professionals presented by Michelle Long and Dan DeLong, who are very passionate about the industry, QuickBooks, and apps that integrate with QuickBooks. You can find out all the details about the webinar series at qbpowerhour.com. So without further ado, here's Michelle and Dan. But uh, today, we're uh, welcome to another uh, point. What are we? Uh, QB... <laughs> Why don't you kick us off, Michelle? Welcome so to better. another QB Power Hour. We're very glad to have you joining us today. Today's topic is tips for selling advisory services. And we have some great people like Josh that you'll hear from Practice Ignition coming up in a few minutes. My name is Michelle Long. I'm CPA with an MBA in entrepreneurship, owner of Long for Success, trainer for Intuit for a long time now, author of several different books. You can check those out on Amazon. And there you can find the links to our Facebook group as well as that LinkedIn group. So we'd love to have you join us and continue the conversation. Yeah, my name is Dan DeLong, owner of Danwith, worked at Intuit for about 18 years, your co-host today, as well as on the workshop Wednesdays at schoolbookkeeping.com. And uh, today we're being joined by Josh Lance. Josh, introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Josh Lance. I am the head of accounting for Practice Ignition uh, in the Americas. Um, in addition to that, I'm also the founder and managing director of Lance CPA Group, which is a virtual remote CPA practice uh, that I started about seven years ago. And so some of the things that we'll talk about are things I've kind of learned along the way in my own journey of selling advisory services in my firm and, and how we've done it and, and what worked and what didn't work. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, we're going to have some some great uh, takeaways of, of what it is that uh, you have to deliver here today. But uh, a little bit about the QB Power Hour. It's every other Tuesday at noon Eastern. Uh, today, we'll be talking about you know t- selling and, and automating advisory services. Uh, next webinar on the first, uh, which will actually might be on location in New Orleans on Fat Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So, um Hopefully, nice. I'll be available <laughs> that day. <laughs> uh, but we'll have uh, Blake Oliver joining us from Re- Relay talking about some uh, tech trends in the audit accounting industry. Unfortunately, we couldn't get David Leary from the from the Cloud Accounting Podcast to join him here. But, uh, you know, schedules are what they are. Um, and then uh, we'll be talking about leveraging partnerships um, because sometimes you can't do it alone. Um, on the 15th of, of March. I know that's a tax deadline. So um, <laughs> we may not be seeing a lot of the tax prep folks uh, uh, that that time, but uh, join us if you can. Of course, we always have the replays on, on the QB Power Hour uh, resources as well as the website as well. So to, just a few little uh, housekeeping things. If you have any specific questions about the, the specific content that we're talking about here today, go ahead and throw that in the Q&A uh, section at the bottom. Uh, if you have some general comments to make, go ahead and put that in the chat if you want to. Uh, and of course, our handouts are available uh, online as well as the landing page that we have for each uh, each and every um, webinar that we put on the QB Power Hour uh, as well. So just go ahead and check out the qbpowerhour.com slash resources and you can get uh, get all the handouts there. Uh, so our agenda today, Josh, we're, what are we going to be talking about here as as far as uh, selling advisory services. Yeah, we're going to really kind of first start with talking a little about that opportunity that exists to do this, right? Why 
a firm would want to sell advisory services, what exists out there to be able to do that. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about what, how we go about selling advisory, where the elements in creating that process, um, and then ultimately creating the proposal that we ultimately use to sell that uh, advisory services, is then leading uh, to the end there with some best practices and tips and tricks we learned along the way. Awesome. All right. So, and then this really comes in handy uh, with what we've been talking lately with, uh, with some other past webinars about advisory uh, services, because it really is um, adding a lot. Uh, to uh, you know, to uh, account accounting professionals uh, being able to 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 take that shift into advisory. And Michelle, you've been a uh, proponent of of advisory, right? Yes, yeah, and I think this is a great topic. So I'm really glad to have Josh joining us today because this is where a lot of people have a hard time. You know, uh, as accounting professionals, and, and Josh, you'll see if you agree with me, we're very comfortable doing the compliance work. Mm -hmm. You know, doing the monthly bookkeeping, doing the payroll, doing the tax, doing those kinds of things, and we don't really have to sell that because that's what our clients kind of expect from us. So when it comes to advisory, that's where a lot of us can kind of use some help in. You know, how do I talk to existing clients or new clients? Because, you know, this is a great opportunity now during busy season to be talking to them. Hey, I can do more for you than just tax prep. I can help you with your cash flow management or if you need to do some personal or business planning or budgeting or applying for a bank loan or whatever it is. You know, it's a great opportunity to start offering those services and talking to the clients about it, maybe planting the seed now and then following up with them after busy season. So, Josh, I think it's a great time for us to be talking about this with our clients. So very glad to have you here today. Awesome. Yeah, I think this is, yeah, you're right. This is exactly the time that uh, you know, you're interacting with clients uh, more so than not. And so this is this is like a perfect time to start thinking about this and, and, and delivering this out. So we've got a poll being launched here. What other additional services do you offer besides bookkeeping? I, I did spell that right. Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> I always misspell bookkeeping um, or tax. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and end uh, the poll and share the results so we can take a look and see um, the makeup of our of our audience here today. Uh, looks like a good spread, uh, Josh. You'd agree? Yeah, I think that is. Yeah, it's a a pretty good spread. You know, there's a lot of different varieties of how you can do advisory services. And so that's kind of neat to see here what people, what different approaches people are taking. Okay. So I'm going to stop sharing and yep. then pass the ball over to Josh so he can guide yep. us through this selling advisory services. Yeah. Let's go ahead <laughs> and uh, we'll go because, ahead and get started. Because, because uh, if anything, accountants love to do is sell, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So let's start here um, and kind of talk about the why here of where um, opportunity meets value, right? So why do we actually go, you know, and want to sell advisor services and, and do that type of work for our clients, right? So um, I think there's kind of five types of insights that we see um, that relate to why advisor services are really important and why we should be talking to our clients uh, about these services. Uh, and so that first insight here is really, you know, that buyers are willing to pay more to address their most significant account challenges, right? So the things that keep them up at night, the things they struggle with. Um, that may not necessarily be doing a bank reconciliation. They may not necessarily be doing a tax return. It may be, I need to understand what I need to do uh, to achieve my growth goals or what I need to do um, in order to maybe open up a second location or what I need to do to get our business in the right spot so I can sell it. Uh, those are things that <clears throat> are really their, their most significant account challenges, things that they 
are thinking about the most, right? So, um, you know, when you think about your clients and when they come to you to, you know, do work for them, uh, we're real apt to sell the compliance services that we are comfortable with, uh, but that may not actually be meeting the need or what the, the thing that our clients are actually wanting the most. Uh, and if we don't address that and we don't kind of align with that, um, we're gonna miss that opportunity to capitalize on uh, not only serving their, their need, but also getting paid appropriately for that work. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the second uh, point here, uh, and the second insight is the strategic advisor service that we can do are gonna be presenting the biggest revenue opportunity. And I'm gonna share a graph here after this slide that kind of highlights that. So I'm not gonna uh, give that away right now, but I think this is where we really see, you know, firms that are growing um, in uh, in revenue and growing in and that profit. Uh, that growth is really coming from advisory services, not so much from bookkeeping or tax or payroll or some of these more compliance level services. You do you find, uh, Josh, that it you know as far as like the size of a firm mm-hmm. um, makes a difference with regards to the 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 advice you know branching into advisory services or is it doesn't it, does it not matter no i don't think the size of the firm matters as much right we see small firms you know one two three people tops um you know they're doing well over seven figures in annual revenue because they focus on the advisory uh, services first before they you know are, are thinking about compliance and those sorts of things right so um, you don't have to be a big firm to do this. Um, you don't have to, uh, you know, have, you know, feel like you have all these resources to make this work. Um, and we'll talk about how we go about actually figuring out how we're going to advise your services. But this can be done at the, the solopreneur level. This can be done at a small firm level um, where you can really drive a lot of value by, by focusing on these advisor services. Um, and, and this is really the revenue opportunity that you see the difference between firms that are growing and, and firms that, aren't growing is, is this, this is the differentiator there. Um, you know, the third lead insight here is buyers, you know, more so now than ever have um, clear priorities and clear choices when it comes to service offerings. Um, so it's not just, I'm going to go down um, to the CPA firm that's in my, you know, downtown area in my town or the one that's a couple blocks away and they're going to help me out. Right. I have lots of opportunity as a buyer, as a as a business looking at, okay, what's the best fit for my company as far as it goes to my accounting and tax relationship. Uh, and so they have priorities on that. They have different choices that they have, right? So, um, you know, it's not just to say like, right, well, I'm a CPA firm in your town and I can do that for you, or I'm a bookkeeping firm in your town and I can help you their bookkeeping. Um, if I'm not meeting what they need or, or addressing their challenges, they can go anywhere in the country and find that work, right? They're not limited anymore to that geographic uh, uh, localities of where that work can happen uh, versus, you know, really where they can, you know, find, okay, who's the one that can address my needs in the best way possible. Um, the fourth insight here is, you know, we you have lots, lots of automation that's happening within the account space with the technology that exists out there, you know, things you can do in QuickBooks that you can have done, you know, five years ago, right. That really automates the process, um, you know, makes, uh, the work to do the kind of compliance level work much more quicker and straightforward and easier. Um, but what ends up happening is I think firms that, you know, just focus on the compliance, they end up automating a lot of things. They end up just taking on more work to drive revenue. And what they are really missing is what else can I do here? And what does the automation open up for my firm, right? So maybe that bookkeeping work used to take me 
uh, you know, five hours a week, but now it only takes me one hour a week. What do I do with that additional four hours? Yeah, maybe I can serve four other clients, uh, but now I'm really getting into a real kind of uh, a situation where I have too many clients and it's hard to serve them and it gets more complex that way? Or do I take that extra time and really focus on providing advisory services to that client that I'm working on um, that, that automation that opens up? And by doing so, um, not only am I able to increase the price of what I'm able to do, but I mean, much more profitable as a result here uh, in, in structuring my firm in this way versus um, just trying to get as many clients as possible. And I think- you know- Go ahead, yeah. No, well, no, so I was just going to say, you know, Josh, I just totally agree with you on that. And, you know, the other thing about it is you have a better relationship with your client because you truly are partnering with them yeah. to help their business succeed. And I personally find that more fulfilling than just, mm-hmm. you know, the basic compliance work and basic bookkeeping. I like helping the business and watching it grow and all that. So you also have a much better relationship with your clients in, in this situation. So I, I think you got great points on all this. Yeah, exactly. And then the fifth part to kind of tie all this together, um, because we have really transformed that relationship that we have with our clients, um, using value pricing allows us to uh, really structure in a way that makes the most sense. It allows us the opportunities to provide that um, advisory services. And it really, when I say kind of benefits beyond the bottom line, we're not playing this quantity game anymore, right? I think for all the firms, anyone who's on this webinar, you're one of your struggles isn't getting new clients into your practice. It's you probably have too much work coming towards your door. You're trying to deal with managing that and, and trying to deal with, uh, and how do you, uh, you know, actually do that work. And so if we really transform that structure of how we work, we're not, you know, trying to get all these clients in, we're trying to work with a set of clients that are the right fit for us and allow us to really provide the best services uh, and provide the best advice to them uh, as possible. And so this is, you know, to that second point here, here's where the the ROI comes into play here. So um, CPA.com did a study of this uh, and they said, okay, you know, for firms that are, uh, you know, just doing, let's say tax prep and payroll, right? What's that price you charge on a monthly basis or, uh, you know, annualize and divide by 12, right? What's that, you know, monthly cost uh, that your clients are paying you for that? And then uh, for firms that are doing tax prep and payroll and advisor services bundled in there, how much are you charging for your services, right? And you see this really distinct difference here of, um, you know, those those firms that are able to bundle in that advisory service <clears throat> to basic compliance stuff like tax prep, like payroll, um, are able to charge up to forty nine percent more per, uh, you know per uh, client per month uh, than they would have just focused on those compliance services, right? So um, <clears throat> that's where we see this huge shift and these advisory services providing uh, much more value to the firm because they're able to charge more, really charge what they're worth uh, when they are providing this level of work to the clients. I think when we start to think about then where do we you know, find that opportunity that meets the value, right? So it's one thing to sell advisory services and your client sees no value in that whatsoever, right? Like that's not what they need. That's not relevant to them today. Uh, and and sell advisory services that make sense, right? So, you know, I think in general, um, where clients sell, you know, really see value is typically around, you know, financial reporting, tax prep, and those are common services that we've done in the past, uh, bookkeeping, uh, things like that. But where they're seeing the true value now, we're seeing, you know, a lot of a lot of these businesses look for value is on things like cash flow, on things like 
payroll and people advisory on things like virtual CFO, um, where these things that are maybe on common services that we wouldn't have provided before are now becoming that common service that actually meets the needs of our clients uh, and is providing that value that they see there as a result, right? So um, they're not now just focused on the compliance stuff that we can do, but they're saying, okay, what can you do to make my business better uh, as a result? And so I think COVID and the pandemic kind of force some businesses into a different mindset themselves. And, and our firms have had to force our mindsets to be a little different. Now it's time to kind of marry that two together and say, what can we do uh, as we work with our clients to continue to provide value and advise our clients going forward and to find those areas where that, that happens. Do you, do you find that, um, you know, speaking of, you know, within, in the age of, of, of COVID, uh, do you find that uh, a lot of businesses used to have those things done internally that no longer, they no longer have that internal structure to do that or. Well, I think, I mean, a good example, I think is with cash flow. I think a lot of businesses pre COVID their way of cash flow management was looking at the balance in the bank account. And as long as it was a good balance, I wasn't (laughs) going to worry about it. Right. Um, And, and, and generally they were fine, right. They were growing businesses. Everything was kind of fine. They weren't worried about that. Wasn't a worry. Pandemic kind of threw that into a uh, threw a wrench into that, and now they look and say, "Well, I really actually do need to uh, manage cash flow." And even as my business is coming out of the pandemic uh, and is kind of getting back to a new normal, managing cash flow is a really important thing, right? That's an area maybe in my business that I wasn't paying attention to that I should, and there's a lot of value that comes from that of uh, understanding, okay, well, you know, managing my spend and managing when I pay certain payables and making sure I can collect my receivables on a timely manner, those things have meaningful difference in the business. And I think they're starting to see uh, see the value of that. And, and while that way had been during the pandemic, an area where, you know, they're trying to see, okay, how long can I survive? Now it's a, how can I better op- my, optimize my business going forward? And what is that additional cash flow that I'm able to manage um, and maybe able to have that I maybe wasn't paying attention to before, what does that allow me to do? Maybe that means I can hire another employee. Maybe that means I can invest in certain things in my business that I didn't think I could have in the past. And so um, something like that, I think, is one of those things where that there's a kind of this distinct change in the mindset of the business and where you know accountants and bookkeepers can really start to provide value there um, because your clients want to know that. They want to know what's going on with their cash flow and they want to know how to best optimize that and, and what that means, what that, that means for their business and what they can do as a result. You know, Josh, another opportunity for us to really help these clients right now more than ever is with the price increases on everything, mm-hmm. you know, with gas and the cost of supplies or even supplies that are not available. Yeah. All those things helping the clients monitor their margins, you know, if their cost of goods is going up and things like that. How do we ensure that you're changing and adjusting your prices to cover that, to give you sufficient margin to cover all your overhead expenses and everything else, you know, with things changing right now so much, that's really critical for these clients. Um, and, and they know their prices are going up. Yeah. But they may not understand the margins and the aspect of covering all those overhead costs yeah. and things too. So another opportunity from, you know, unfortunately, the, the pandemic and the situation we're in right now, opportunities though for us to help these small businesses with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as we think about this and we think about this shift here of, okay, we may be a firm that, you know, is really focused on compliance work and we want to shift out of that. Um, I think there needs to be a kind of mindset shift uh, as a result here uh, in that, you know, when we think about compliance services, a lot of times the client is leading that work, right? Example of like a tax return. 
client wants a tax return done for us, they're going to provide us a documentation for that. They're going to be maybe the man in when that return gets done and, and the timing of that. Um, and when we sell those compliance services, we've put the client in the position of leadership in our relationship. Uh, and that gives us really limited opportunities to provide value because we're really taking our cues from the client versus leading the client. Um, I think when we focus and change our mindset to more of an advisory service mindset and change how we operate internally, um, we put ourselves in the position to lead our clients instead. Um, and that gives us the opportunities to provide them with that strategic insight that allows us to help them solve their problems or achieve those outcomes that they're looking to achieve. Uh, and I think that mindset shift really uh, is, is important here because that allows us the ability to restructure of how we work with our clients um, and, and really fundamentally restructure our firms to support that. Um, it's one thing, I think firms that struggle with going to this move to advisory and what we've seen is um, they've started to make that shift and started to sell those advisory services, um, but they haven't changed how, how they're structured or how they operate internally. And so what ends up happening is the advisory services are being done by the owner or the partner of the firm, uh, and it just add a bunch of work on their level. And that's maybe not what they want to do or the best use of their time. And they're struggling to push that advisor work downwards in their firms uh, as a result. And so uh, they get frustrated because now they feel like I can only take on so much advisor work. We're kind of limited uh, in what we can do. And then as a result, uh, it, it doesn't work or they get frustrated by that process. And so I think there needs to be a real fundamentally restructuring how we operate within our firms in order to make this feasible going forward, right? So and maybe that means training up your employees to provide this work or identifying what we can do and not do, understanding our skill set in a real uh, tangible way so that we know uh, what we can take on when it comes to advisory services and how we ultimately deliver that to uh, our clients. Um, we already mentioned some common advisory services that exist out there. Um, I think one of the things that you know exists with advisory services, we don't want to try to do everything for everybody, right? Um, uh, we need to figure out what makes the most sense for the type of clients we work with and the type of services we provide uh, and what advisory services fit that functionality, right? So um, you know, if we're a very tax-heavy firm, you know, trying to do technology advisory may not make the most sense. Maybe we can do it. We understand it, but that's not our greatest skill set. Uh, and we need to think, you know, what is, you know, what are those advisor services that make the most sense for us as we think about this? So, um, as we identify those advisory opportunities, I think there's like five things, um, at least that I have thought about when I've done it in our firm, and I think other firms think about that that make this work. So, I think the first thing is understand that skill set. Um, what do you do that you bring to the table that you know, sets you apart from other accountants or um, it sets you into a position where you have the right skill set to provide that advisory service, right? So, um, you know, for example, our firm, uh, we work primarily with craft breweries. And so we know a lot about that industry. We've you know, been in the industry a long time. Uh, and so we know a lot about the mechanisms of margins and, and cost and, and all that stuff, right? So that's an interesting skill set that we can bring to the table as we advise those those clients, um, you know, maybe we're not experts in marketing or we're not experts in, uh, you know, how they do, uh, you know, their their technology or hiring or things like that. So maybe we're not going to focus in on those areas. We're going to focus on the areas that we're experts in. Um, one area, too, that I think you can identify these advisor opportunities is where are the places that you're going out of scope with your current clients? So do clients routinely ask you questions? that are not a part of the scope of work that you currently do. So maybe you're doing bookkeeping work, but they're asking a lot of payroll questions. You don't do payroll. Maybe that's a question of, 
uh, you know, if we're helping them out in those areas of our scope, is that is that something that we're seeing that is a need of our clients? Uh, and what does that mean from an advisory standpoint? So uh, an example of this, uh, and this is from our, you know, from just our experience in our firm is uh, over even pre-pandemic over the last probably three or four years, we're getting a lot of questions from our clients relating to payroll and benefits in HR. And, and we did payroll for them, right? But in a compliance way, uh, we're just processing payroll and, and kind of managing it for them. But they were asking questions about how do we retain employees? How do we put the right benefit pack into place so employees want to work here? Uh, how do we uh, make sure we have the right structures in place so we're doing what is necessary required um, uh, for this? And so uh, as we thought about this and as we thought about those questions and some of the Alloscope work and ad hoc consulting that we're doing around here, we really saw this need of uh, our clients really need help around what we call people advisory, uh, those things beyond just the compliance level payroll, and how can we meet that need for them, right? Because we're getting that question over and over and over again from multiple clients, and we're going out of scope in that way. There is an opportunity that exists there to provide advisory services where we can package that up, uh, package it up with the payroll services that we do, uh, and offer that to our clients that meets those needs, those things that you know keep them up at night, the things that they worry about on a consistent basis. We're now able to meet that need, and they're willing to pay for it as a result. And so, work that we may have done where we've done payroll for them, we charge them 150 bucks a month or something like that. We're now charging them 1,500 a month uh, because we're providing other services in there um, that actually are the things they value value more so than that we ran payroll every two weeks. Uh, and so identifying those out-of-scope work, I think, is important there. Um, look at your current client list. Um, what are the things that we can provide across our current client base? So if we have, let's say, a lot of dentists is in our client base, right? So maybe we're not niched in dentists, but we seem to have a lot of dentists and doctors and things. What are things that are, what are advisor services that are important to those types of businesses? And are there things that we can provide that we can replicate and do over and over and over again to those types of businesses. So we're not trying to recreate the advisory wheel for each and every client that we have, but we're identifying, hey, we know dentists really care about the certain the certain metrics or uh, they really care about reaching a certain profit level. What can we do to advise them in that? You know, Maybe it's putting some KPIs together, monitoring for them and meeting with them on a regular basis to talk about that. Um, so looking at that client base can help you kind of see Right. Hey, we have a lot of clients that are fit in this type of need. Uh, what can we do from an advisory perspective for that? Uh, I think you can also expand the current offerings you, you currently do. Um, so if your firm primarily does bookkeeping, uh, but you also tend to you know, take on ad hoc you know, consulting related to understanding what the financials do, or uh, you get a lot of questions that maybe your current offerings aren't touching, what are those other things you can package in with your current offerings that allow you to provide those advisory services? Uh, and finally, just listen to your clients, understand their pain points. Uh, I think one of the biggest ways we can identify those advisory opportunities is just by listening, talking to our clients and hearing their hearing their concerns, hearing their worries, hearing the questions that they ask and saying, hey, we're getting that question a lot. What is that? What do we need to do about that as far as packaging it up for advisory services? Um, so examples here, you know, like for us in, you know, working on breweries, we do benchmarking studies for our breweries uh, and we'll provide KPI analysis around that and advise on saying, okay, hey, your brewery really wasn't great on your gross profit margin compared to our breweries. What is the, what's the problem here? What's the issue that's uh, uh, causing this and how can we help you change that? And how, how can we help you, uh, you know, identify those things that need to, to be different in order for that KPI to be better, in order for you to be more in line with your peers or better than your peers. Um, 
know, adding complimentary services uh, to your current service offering. So if you're doing bookkeeping, adding, you know, payroll and people advisory, or um, if you're doing taxes, doing tax planning alongside that, um, you know, taking those compliance level things and adding an advisor to, I think is a, um, is a is a real great way of kind of starting to bundle that together and now have advisory services as core of what we're doing when we work with our clients. Is there a, um, yep. is there a, uh, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to formulate the question. Is there a, um, like a benchmark that you can say internally, mm-hmm. this is where it draws the line or, or you know, yeah. goes on the other side of the fence of, okay, this is compliance versus this is advisory type of services. You know, like when, when, when I say X, I mean, is it, is it simple as that? <laughs> you know, when I say something yeah. like this to the client, that's an advisory type of service as opposed to an, a compliance thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you can see some of the delineation, especially if, after you do it for a while of where that line is drawn. But I think also part of it is just a fundamental shift of how you work with your clients. And so when we think about working with our clients, it's always an advisory first mindset. So when we sell to a client, when we are working with a client, we're thinking advisory first and yeah, we'll do the bookkeeping and yeah, we'll do the tax and yeah, we'll do the payroll, but we're coming in first with advisory um, and, and changing that mindset. So it's not this necessary delineation between, okay, well, now we're crossing the line to advisory, but it's, we're starting with advisory first mm. and those other components are, are fitting into it. They're part of that. They're part that's, of that. that yeah. That's part of the the what yep. as opposed to the, the what. Yep. Awesome. Um, so let's talk about the sale process, right? So it's one thing to say, yeah, we want to do advisory. We have opportunities, but it's another thing to go sell them. I think that's where some firms struggle is we're not great salespeople or that's not what we like to do or, we get nervous in the sales process. And so when the client starts saying things, we just say yes to it, or we start throwing out prices left and right when we shouldn't be doing that. Um, and there's a, a, a great uh, author, uh, his name is Blair Enns. You see his picture on the screen here. Um, and he talks a lot about how you sell in the professional service con- context. Um, and he comes from the um, ad agency world, uh, the digital agency type uh, industry. Uh, but a lot of these things can be applied to our firms as well. Uh, and one of the things he talks about is you are the prize to be won. Uh, and coming into your, your sales process with that prospective client, with that mindset in mind of I'm the prize to be won here. Uh, and when we think about that in the context of advisory services, if we're coming, if a client's coming to us, a prospective client's come to us and they have issues, um, they're coming to us because they know that we're the expert, right? But a lot of times we'll, we'll see that expertise or see that leadership uh, in that sales relationship where we'll allow the client to control us, the client to be the boss of us. Uh, and we don't act like the experts that we truly are. And so um, he talks about this as the Jedi mindset uh, when it comes to sales. Uh, and there's kind of four kind of bullet points he talks about here. Um, the first is I'm the expert. I'm the prize to be won. People are coming to me because I have the expertise. Uh, people are coming to me because I can solve their problems uh, or I can achieve, help them achieve their outcomes. And so I need to act like that uh, when I sell. Uh Two, I'm the mission. I'm on a mission to help, right? So my my job as the expert is to help these businesses come to me. That come to me to be able to achieve that goal or to achieve that outcome or help them with that problem they're struggling with. Uh, and my job is to help them in doing that. Um, the third step here, though, is in order for me to help, I have to be able to lead. So. I can't work in a client relationship where the client is, you know, demanding me to jump on the phone every two minutes or 
uh, is expecting me to do things their way. If I'm the expert, I do the things my way because I have the expertise. I'm the one who's built that expertise over time. I'm the one who has that knowledge that our clients do not have. Uh, and so I need to be able to lead the client. And so if the client is not willing to be led, and sometimes we get into that relationships, right? Where we sell to someone, we think this is gonna be a good fit, but they're not willing to listen to us. They don't listen to us. They're trying to drag us along to you know the last thing they Googled and let's try that out for a tax thing or whatever that may be. Um, that's, that's them leading us and not us leading them. Uh, and then the fourth part of this is, you know, not all will follow this, right? So there are going to be plenty of prospects and there may be current clients right now that don't see you as a leader. They don't see you as the expert in the prize that we want. And that's okay. We don't need to work with them. Um, I think, especially in the account industry right now, we have more work coming at us than we're able to do. Um, and, you know, couple that with the great resignation and, and not having the staff to be able to do work, right? Like, there's way more stuff out there than we, you know, can even do in our in a wildest dreams. So we need to focus on the work that's the best work for us. And so part of this, when you think about this from a sales concept is we need to maybe even change the current client structure or current clients that we have internally in order to be able to restructure from the right way. So you may have clients that aren't great to work with, that aren't allowing you to lead them or that are kind of pulling you around. Um, those are the ones that are going to not only detract um, from bringing the right clients in, but take away your energy and your resources to serve the clients that you want to serve. Uh, and so there needs to even be a pruning process as we think about selling advisor services. Where's that capacity going to come from in our firm? What clients do we need to get rid of now that open up that capacity to do this work uh, and do the work we really want to do? Uh, when we think about the sales process, uh, and before we even talk about proposal, and even before we talk about pricing, um, we need to develop the right process, the right structure in place, and have a process that we follow um, on a each and every time we do a sales call or have a new prospect come to us. Uh, and so that workflow needs to be built, it needs to be standardized, it needs to happen the exact way every time, because when we start to deviate from that, we start to bring in the wrong clients to our firm and we're bringing them in at the wrong price and we're causing chaos internally that affects the good clients that we really want to work with uh, as a result. So the standardized sales process, I think, kind of looks like this. Um, we really should, if we did our process right, um, be able to answer these questions on the screen here, right? So um, does our sales process allow us to identify this as a good fit for us? Uh, um, so do we even have a screening process uh, that we've created that uh, screens out potential bad clients uh, from this, right? So um, for us, uh, we funnel all of our potential sales leads uh, um, through our type form uh, on our website. Uh, and in there, they have to ask answer some questions there. Um, so if they say they're not a craft brewery or they're not a digital agency, they get kicked out of the process. If they say we don't work on the cloud, they get kicked out of the process. If they say they want services that we don't perform, they get kicked out of the process. So we're starting to weed out those not desirable clients. So when we actually meet with a prospective client, they're now in the right fit for us. Uh, and we're not talking to people who are just wasting their time or wasting their time. You know, Josh, that is so important. It's And it's one of the things I think that's hard for people is learning to say no. Not every mm -hmm. client 
is the right client for you. Not every client's a good client, you know, and, and that's where I think it's important to be networking with others Mm -hmm. and getting to know others with different specialties. So, you know, it is great that, you know, you, you know, if I know you're into the craft breweries and things Mm -hmm. like that, I could refer a potential client to you. And if you know what I specialize in, you know, when that you come across that, you could refer them to me. So, you know, if, I think it's real important and I'm glad to hear you talking about this learning to say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think no, no, no is one of the most powerful things we can do in our firm is saying no. Um, yep. Because when we say yes to things by default, we're saying no to things that we probably want to do as a result. And so um, by saying no and taking control of the no is, is, is highly critical. Uh, and especially when you do the sales process and, and vice versa, when you're yeah. actually saying no, you're, you're actually saying yes to someone. Exactly. That, that yeah. 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 Um, you know, another question we need to have answered is, does this client align with who we serve or what services we provide, right? So um, are they aligning with us as a best fit for our firm, right? So a brewery could come to us and say, hey, it's really great. You guys work with breweries. This is awesome. I need you to do X. Caught, we, let's, you know, uh, cost segregation analysis. We don't do cost segregation analysis. We don't do R&D tax credits. We're not the right fit for there. If we say yes to that, now we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? And are we, you know, we're not experts in that field, right? So we've already seeded the expertise uh, component right off the bat. And so that's not going to be a great fit. So even if they are aligned maybe on industry or maybe aligned on service, you know, we got to see, is this the right fit? Um, you know, does the client value our work? Uh, if they're coming in hot with what's your price, they don't value your work, right? They're just looking for the cheapest thing possible. So we need to understand what do they value and are they going to value the work that we do, right? So um, you know, some of our best clients come to us because they say, hey, we know your expertise is here and we want you to lead us and we're going to pay whatever you say because we know what you can do for us. That's a sign of value. They come and say, what's your price for the tax return? Not a sign of value. Send them on their way. Like that's just never going to be, that's not going to be a good fit. Um, you know, does this client actually know what they want? You know, some clients say, I want a tax return. That's not actually what they want. They need help getting their books in order. They need help filing the last three years of tax returns. We need to start to dive in and investigate. And just because the client says, I need a tax return, I need bookkeeping help, we need to start to diagnose a little bit here uh, and say, okay, what do they actually want? What's the actual need here um, uh, through this? Uh, fifth question here, will the client allow us to lead them, right? You'll find that out in the kind of the sales conversation. If they say, you know, I expect my accountant to deliver me financials, uh, a weekly financial report every Friday, and I want to meet with you, uh, you know, once a week, and then I'm going to call you up and I expect you to answer that phone call or respond to my email within six hours. They're not allowing us to lead them, right? They're saying what they're basically treating us as an employee at that point, right? So um, that's not who we are and that's not what we do. And so uh, we need to come in that mindset of how do we lead them? And finally, we need to come with a defined, agreed upon defined scope. So no longer we say, yeah, we'll do taxes for you, right? What does that mean? What are we actually doing for them? What's that detailed scope that we're going to all agree upon is this is what you're doing for us um, because that helps us really uh, define that relationship up front, uh, set expectations and ultimately, um, you know, do what we're supposed to do and not run into, you know, why am I supposed to do it? Am I not supposed to do it? Is it fuzzy uh, on that scope? We want to be very defined on that. Um, so in the, sta- in the standardized sales process, we make sure we qualify that client, understand that need, um, create a proposal that fits what the client needs. Uh, in general, we never talk price on that first call. So we were either gonna deliver a proposal after the fact, 
um, that we may do asynchronously through video or have a second meeting where we go over that proposal and, and talk about, okay, here's what we're doing, here's the price, and here's what we came up with, and here's the why behind that. Uh, and ultimately, then we need to come to agree to agreement on those services and have them sign an engagement letter to uh, commemorate that fact. Um, I don't think sales processes should be fast. The faster it is, the more likely you are going to bring in a, a wrong client for your firm. Uh, the slower the process allows you to be more discerning and allows you to decide, okay, is this the best fit? And ultimately to your client too, they need to make that determination as well. And the faster we get into it, um, the faster we get into clients that we haven't made that determination fit or they haven't done that. And we now have a bad relationship or just not the right fit uh, in general. Our poll here. So we'll go ahead and talk about what version of QuickBooks uh, are you using? Do you find it's uh, QuickBooks Online, uh, Desktop, or or both? And you know, Josh, I, I wanted to, to just totally agree with you on that proposal and clarifying the scope of your services. That is so key and so important to avoid scope creep where they say, well, can you do this? Can you do that? And, and a lot of times we may have a tendency to be like, oh, you know, that doesn't take too long. So yeah, I'll go ahead and yeah. get, do it. But we need to learn if it's outside the scope that we agreed on, yeah. we need to do what's kind of like a change order. I mean, yeah. people are familiar with change orders from the construction industry. Mm -hmm. We need to have that same mindset that this is what we agreed on and clearly yeah you know, agreed in our, in our engagement letter and our proposal, like you said, and then when they do need something out, say, yes, we'd be glad to do that. I'll go ahead and put together a change order for you, you know, so that we can add that on because otherwise what we wind up doing is we wind up giving it away free and exactly. then they expect that from yeah. us in the future. So we yeah. have to not do that. And it, and it takes discipline on our part as the accounting professional to make sure that yeah. we don't do that. Yep. I totally agree. I mean, it's kind of, by taking that out of scope work on and having our clients, you know, kind of engage in that scope creep, we're creating basically an unforced error or, you know, an unnecessary friction in that relationship because that's going to come to head at some point, right? We're going to get frustrated. Yep. We're doing free work. They're going to be frustrated because, hey, like, why aren't you doing this thing that you did last time? Uh, yep. And no one, no one wins there. And so... Um, I think that's important. I think also on the flip side here too, um, you know, identifying issues of scope seat where our employees start to go outside the scope, right? So if they don't have agreed upon the scope of what they're working on, then they start to do things that they shouldn't be doing. And now the client starts to expect that. And now we get into a, a, a scope creep situation. All right. So it looks like uh, majority is both QuickBooks Online and, and Desktop. There's still a place for Still a place for desktop. Desktop's not dead. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's talk about how we actually present this advisory uh, work into proposals, right? So um, I think there are some key elements that we want to hit on and make sure that are in each of our proposals that we do. Um, because when we talk about advisory services and talk about you know, some of the pricing around that, um, this is higher value work. And so it needs to be shown and how we propose this to our clients uh, as well. So um, first, I think the proposal needs to be professional. Uh, it needs to really highlight that you are a serious business that is indeed that expert that uh, can help that, uh, that business for them. Uh, and so we need to present ourselves in that way. So I've seen some proposals where things are misspelled and we got three different fonts going on that don't match. And it just looks like we kind of threw it together. 
um, and and weren't really putting in the effort necessary to actually think through this, uh, and and that doesn't look good. Uh, and especially if they're comparing your firm to other firms, they see something that looks you know like you miss key details or you can't spell things right. That's just an indicator in that client's mind that you're not detail oriented and. How can I trust you with my taxes? How can I trust you with my bookkeeping? If you can't even, you know, spell my name right, or uh, you know, have you know a proposal that it looks doesn't look professional, um, it really needs to highlight and showcase who you are. You know, why why choose you? Why are you uh, better than the other firms they may be talking with? What's your unique? Uh, value proposition that you bring to the table. Um, what's your personality, right? So if you're a firm that is, you know, f- you know, high tech forward and stuff like that, right? That should come across a bit on the proposal. That, that's how you work. Um, if you're a firm that's very suit and tie and button up, right? That should come across in your proposal and how you work. Um, people want to see that person. They want to say, okay, who am I working with? And, and, and ultimately, why should I choose you? Uh, what do you bring to the table uh, that you don't, that, you know, the other firms don't, right? And I think, when you lead with advisory, that's a clear indicator of, of a different differentiator there, right? If they're coming to you with taxes and every firm's gonna give you, okay, here's my tax return price for that tax return. And here's how that works. But you're coming with this advisory mindset and say, I'm really here to help you, um, you know, restructure and plan out for taxes and make sure um, we're doing things uh, that aren't just short-term thinking, but long-term thinking. And yeah, well, by the way, I'll do your business's tax return. Um, that's a differentiator there that, that sets you apart. Um, and advisor services can really help with that. Uh, be clear on the scope of services. Be detailed out of what that scope is. Um, I've seen too many proposals that said, we will perform accounting services, you know, for that company. And say, so, okay, what does that mean? Uh, first off, right? Accounting services can mean a lot of things. Does that mean taxes included? Does that mean you're going to do payrolls? That can be bookkeeping. What's in that? Um, and if you make it vague or you don't have that detail, you may have an assumption what it means, but your client may have a different assumption what that means. And so they may say, well, I got, you know, my prior, you know, CPA for my prior bookkeeping firm said, um, you know, when I, you know, did bookkeeping, that also included a tax return. Uh, and that may not be how we operate, right? Maybe we have separate proposals for that. We need to be clear on that so they know, okay, this only includes this, right? They choose the service. It only includes these, you know, five different things and no more uh, and no less. And so uh, you, know, you can even do that and help with that when you do three option proposals where you show, okay, here's three different ways we can look at it. And here's the different scopes in that um, to highlight that difference. Um, I think we need to have understandable pricing. If our pricing is esoteric or it's like, okay, well, it's $200 an hour. Well, what does that mean, right? Is that how many hours do you think it's going to take? Is it a 10-hour job? Is it a 20-hour job? Um, if they don't know what the prices are, understand, and they're trying to compare it to someone else who says, my price is $500 a month, there's going to be that kind of a differentiator where they're going to say, okay, well, what does this actually mean? And who, whose pricing can I trust? And then finally, it needs to show what our next steps are. Uh, what happens if you agree to, uh, you know, to, you know, accept our proposal, what happens next? Uh, you know, do we kick off a kickoff process? What does that look like? Um, what should they expect from us, you know, once they agree to this, uh, you know, show them that what the path looks like, uh, if they don't know the next steps, you're going to get in this weird area where they said, yeah, I agreed to it. And then what happens next? Right. Uh, and if they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for you to respond and they're not hearing anything, uh, they're going to start to lose faith in that they chose the right provider. And they may uh, regret that decision and, and have buyer's remorse as a result there. Um, so I think all proposals should have these things and, and be pretty clear uh, about that. Um, another thing when it comes to kind of best practices around this, uh, you know, 
we don't have instant proposals where we're discussing price in that first call um, or, you know, we were saying, okay, well, here's what it is. And we're kind of shooting off to them right off the bat. Um, we want to be thoughtful about our proposal structure. What does it look like? What are we actually trying to uh, provide here? Um, you know, a lot of the times the, the client's needs aren't just cut and dry of what it is. And especially when we bring advisory as part of that, um, we need to be pretty clear about what we're doing and, and why we're doing that. Um, secondly, what's, we a, need to tell, what's yeah. a good, what's a good time frame? you know, from that first call to second call, as far as uh, where you do go over the yeah. proposal? Yeah, generally, uh, we try to do it within about three to five days is kind of our, our time frame, um, And we tell them that too. We give them the expectation that, you know, after this call, you know, in, within five days or in, you know, four days from now, we want to set up a time to meet with you. Uh, to go over the proposal uh, and talk through what that looks like. So um, we want to, again, give some time because usually like in our firm, um, you know, our, my partner who does most of the sales, he, she'll kind of come back and, and we'll discuss and kind of say, okay, here's what they're saying. Here's our needs. Um, you know, maybe we need to do a diagnostic first where we need to dig in uh, to um, some things before we can actually give them a real proposal. Uh, maybe we know what they need, but we may want to think about adding this, you know, different service in here because they mentioned it on the call, even though they didn't say that's what they wanted. Um, so we have some time talking about it. We have some time talking about capacity, um, you know, pricing. When you think about pricing, pricing has to consider capacity uh, in order for that to be a, a real accurate price on our end. And so um, we need to understand, okay, well, they're asking a lot. I don't know if we have the capacity to do that. Maybe we need to pass on this one. Um, or yeah, we have the capacity, but in order to do that, we're going to need, you know, three people to do this work. And so we have to charge this price to make sure we, uh, you know, compensate for that. Uh, and so we want to have time to think through it, come up with a proposal, review it, make sure, you know, we're, we're checking all the boxes we want to check and then we send it off. But we do want to provide that, um, the clarity up front to the client as to what the expectation is uh, to get that. Um, we want to make sure we take that need that they said. So if they came to us with a need that we're kind of getting from that need to why we came up with that scope of service. So if they said, I need a tax return and we're talking about doing, you know, CFO advisor services as our proposal, we've not connected the dots there at all. And so we need to make sure we're connecting the dots and it's clear to them uh, on that. Uh, make sure we have that two-step proposal in place uh, when that scope is ambiguous. So again, if we need to do diagnostic first and say, hey, we're going to need to charge you a thousand bucks, we're going to dive into your stuff, uh, and then we're going to come up with what you act, what the actual issue is, and how we're going to solve that. Um, I think that's fine. If we go into an ambiguous thing where we don't really know what we're doing, we're not really sure what's going on, um, and we throw a price out there, likely we're just going to be way off and, and we're going to regret that later. Uh, make sure you follow up with proposals. You know, it's great you sent that proposal off and you got it to them. If we don't follow up, that shows we're just disinterested. Um, you know, they're busy. They got a lot of things going on. Um, you know, they may get a couple of proposals from different places trying to evaluate and by us following up just shows, hey, we maybe send it off. We're just checking in, making sure uh, you got it. Make sure you have any questions, let us know. Um, and, and do that, you know, making sure we get all the information up front as well. So caption payment details and information and getting that engaged letter signed as well. Um, we don't want to do any work until those things are done. Okay. So we have our third poll question, which is how many of your clients use uh, QuickBooks online? And in the essence of time, I think uh, we should just, while people are answering that, just go ahead and uh, yeah. Josh, if you just want to head on to the next, so we want to give 
you know, practice ignition as yeah. much as much time as we can here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so let's talk about creating that proposal that sells. And that's where practice ignition comes into play. So uh, if you don't know what practice ignition does or you haven't heard of us, um, we're really a place to manage your client engagement and uh, your, your commerce with your client. Uh, in one place. So um, practice is the place where you can send out that proposal to your client, um, where you can collect payment details and then invoice and bill them. Uh, and then where you have an engagement letter signed. So um, it's uh, it's a really a one-stop shop to make sure you're engaging with your clients correctly and that you ultimately get paid from your clients as a result. Uh, you know, it's, you know, for a lot of firms, I think, you know, who are, you know, kind of doing your word doc, your standard work doc proposal uh, and uh, and doing things like that. This is a really place to kind of organize all that to see, okay, where are my active clients that I'm working with? When do those engagement letters expire? Um, how much am I charging per client? You know, it helps you really get an understanding of, um, you know, what's going on with your clients and keeping track of all that. So you don't have things fall through the cracks uh, that you are, you know, aren't doing work for a client that maybe hasn't signed an engagement letter, for instance, um, and really gives you that as a firm owner and a firm leader, uh, that kind of, you know, 30,000 level, 30,000 foot view of what's going on uh, in your firm. It's really also turns that proposal into a really great sales tool. So um, in practice, we send out a proposal. It's an interactive proposal. They click through it. They see things about you, right? You can include videos in there. Um, you can include a brochure, right? So that growth accounting that you see there um, is uh, an example of a brochure where they can kind of read through that. Um, if you don't have a brochure, you don't have that marketing platter, we'll create that for you. So you have that um, uh, in the app. Uh, it also allows them to really see that scope of services, see what they're paying for, when those payments are going to happen, and provide a lot of clarity to your customers so they understand what they're signing up for as a result. Um, like I said before, um, you get to accept payments on your proposals. So no longer are you chasing people to pay you. Um, so you're collecting that payment information up front. You're charging them on a recurring basis or when the work is done or the milestones you've chosen. Uh, and you got it all done automatically for you. Uh, so you're not having to think about, did we invoice that customer? Do we need to collect here? It's all being done and, and we're not getting a situation where we have all this outstanding AR for people who aren't paying us. And now we have to play collections officer to go get that money uh, from them. I think this also really aligns the value of the work you do with the compensation you receive, right? So if you're getting paid monthly from your client, right? You set them a monthly recurring retainer with them. Um, you're, you're getting paid when you provide that value versus where firms in the past have sent out invoices and then 90 days later, they get paid on an invoice. And so the payment and the conversation has been divorced from the value created. Uh, and sometimes then clients don't see it and they get, you know, they want to get discounts or they don't like the price or whatever it may be. Um, now we've aligned that correctly. Uh, and, and clients are paying for the value that they're consuming uh, each and every month or time period uh, that you have that set up for. Uh, and finally, we collect e-signatures for those engagement letters. So uh, making sure that every service that you do has an engagement letter associated with it that has been signed by your client. Um, that's all done in here. If you need multiple signatures, so maybe you're doing uh, uh, two spouses and they need they both want to sign an engagement letter, we can facilitate that. Maybe you have a partnership and all five partners want to sign that, we can facilitate that as well. So uh, making sure that those signatures happen each and every time on an engagement letter as well. Uh, and finally, we integrate with the tools that you use, right? So we integrate with QuickBooks Online uh, and in there we create the invoice uh, for the periods that need to be created for. So it's every month, a monthly invoice gets created in there. Uh, and then we reconcile uh, that invoice. So when the payment, we see the payment happen, we will mark that invoice as paid and, and do the automation in the app for you. Um, so you know which invoices are paid, when they were paid, and then match that up in your bank feed uh, as well. 
Uh, we also integrate with Intuit Practice Management, um, sort of doing your workflow. I mentioned that as well. So when the service gets signed in Practice Mission, uh, we create that work in Intuit Practice Management, so then you can uh, do the work for them. And there's no, you know, making sure nothing drops in the cracks as a result. And uh, there's always a, a contingency of does this work with QuickBooks Desktop? Is asked in the. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a direct integration with QuickBooks desktop, just with QuickBooks Online currently. Awesome. All right. And um, I, I just had a real quick question too, yeah. Josh, because um, you said you, you work with the proposals and then also the engagement letter. And I assume, and I, I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm pretty sure, just wanted to confirm with you, that your engagement letters meet the requirements. Like if you've got the E&O insurance and stuff, a lot of them have certain requirements of what you should include in yeah. your engagement letters and things. And so you know, I think you have region specific, like for yep. the US versus Canada or Australia, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So we have a, a sample engagement letter that's been attorney reviewed here in the US. Um, so it has all the things that should be in there. Um, if you have your own engagement letter, maybe it is from your insurance provider, maybe it's through the AICPA or some other organization that you get your engagement letter, legal terms and conditions from, um, we can take that and put it into the system for you. So you can use those as well. Um, and all those engagement letters are, are set up to be kind of sm with smart fields and things. So they automatically update if you change, you know, if someone picks a level of service, it'll automatically update with that, the terms and conditions and the scope of services and uh, those service level, uh, you know, uh, components and, and legal things that you need in there all comes into play. So um, if you don't have anything, we have a place to start. But if you do have your own engagement letter that you like or that you got from your insurance carrier that you want to use, we can put that in the app for you and you can use that. Great. I think uh, I think what would be ideal is maybe we should got, have you guys back where you can actually go into practice management and and see yeah. uh, see a, a, a demo of of what it can actually do, um, you know, for you know to help automate the process. Yeah. And I think um, I think one of the things that is that I saw on your website that it it uh, that it really helps with is once once you send out that engagement, it it will it will bug the client for you, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah it automatically, I will follow up. So you send that out and, you know, the client doesn't respond. It will follow up automatically. You can set the terms, how often you want it to follow up, what day cadence, right? So for us, we set it up every uh, every week. It will follow up for three weeks. And so they'll get an email saying, hey, just following up. Again, all that language can be customized to how you want to say that. Um, so it does some of that automation work for you on that front as well. See, and this is so great because doing the proposals, the engagement letters, the follow-up, all that is administrative things that we shouldn't be spending a lot of time on. Yeah. And so I think PI, practice ignition, is an awesome tool for us to really cover the things that we need to cover, but yet a very efficient manner of getting it done and managing it. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. It allows you, especially as you grow your practice and you're doing more things, right? You're carving out that administrative time of, you know, tracking down those, I mean, you know, I've seen firms where, you know, you forget the invoice or your invoice and forgot to get paid. And, and now it's, you know, 180 days later, and you're calling the client saying, hey, you forgot to pay my invoice. And, you know, good luck at that point if you're getting paid or not. And, um, and so this really ensures that, you know, those kind of really administrative tasks can really, um, you know, be automated. And especially as you think about the signing of the engagement letter, right? So as they go through the process and practice, they will see the proposal, um, they will see the things they want to do. If you want to do three option proposal, they can select which option they want to select. Um, and then they'll ask them for their payment details so they can put bank information uh, or bank ACH or credit card. 
which you you can turn on and turn off, right? So if you don't want to take credit cards because you don't want to pay the fees, you can turn it off so they can only do bank ACH. Um, and then it'll have them sign an engagement letter. And then from there, there's a lot of cool automation you can do of, right? Well, now they sign, what do we want to do next? Maybe we need to have them fill an intake form through type form. Let's have it automated. So when that signs, they automatically get an email with that to fill out. Or maybe we need to set up a, a kickoff call and we're going to send them an email with a calendar link for them to pick up time for doing that meeting, or we maybe have to get some things structured of maybe we need a Google, a Google Drive folder created, or maybe in our practice management software, we need to have a, a new client created. We can have all that done automatically. So we're not doing all that administrative work and it ensures it happens each and every time uh, according to clockwork. Awesome. Yes, I agree with Dan. We should have you back on for a demo <laughs> um, to go through some of this yeah. because it is amazing. Um, you know, practice ignition is an amazing tool that really help, helps us save so much time. And, and like you just said, it prevents those things from falling through the cracks. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's awesome. Cool. Well, th Josh, thanks again for, yep. for joining us here today um, and, and, and telling us about, you know, how to, you know, because as like I was saying, you know, one thing that even though, you know, we we hate selling, people are in sales right like if yeah. you're a, if you're even if you're a parent right you're <laughs> you're always in sales that's right you know bed bedtime is hostage negotiation in reverse, right? whatever you yeah. just stay yeah. in there yeah. I'll give you whatever you want but i mean you are in in, yeah. in the sales profession uh, yeah. as a parent or even in it, it uh you know you're just selling a solution as opposed yeah. to um an actual you know product or widget right yeah um so we appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this topic um it is uh, i think the years of the advisor you know ch changing that that mm -hmm. shift from compliance to to advisory yeah. is is a is a great great topic and uh, appreciate you coming on yeah no problem yes. thank you josh yeah, thank and you. ryan <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, so thanks for joining us here for another uh, qb power hour again we'll be coming on uh, next, uh, next, next time with uh, uh, new uh, new tech trends for accountants with uh, Blake Oliver and uh, Relay. So hopefully you join us then, and I uh, hope you have a great week. Thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed listening to the QB Power Hour podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them in our Facebook group. You can find those resources and much more at qbpowerhour.com. <laughs>